This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. What's happening right now as a large group of people, they call it a caravan. That is an assault on our country. I think the Democrats had something to do with it. And now they're saying, I think we made a big mistake. I'm Mehdi Hassan. Welcome to Deconstructed. Another week, another so-called immigration crisis. The midterms are around the corner and the racists and nativists are out in force. I'll speak to the legendary Mexican-American journalist and Trump's bet noir, Jorge Ramos. I've been in this country for 35 years and I've never seen anything like this. We are normalizing racism. We are normalizing cruelty. So this week on Deconstructed, the migrants are coming. The caravan of Central American migrants continues to swell in numbers. An army of migrants is literally marching or riding or making their way from, uh, is it from Honduras? From most, all of them from Central America. President Trump is calling the caravan a national emergency, and he's claiming criminals and unknown Middle Easterners are mixed in with the crowd. They could very well be, but there's no proof. There's no proof of anything. There's no proof of anything. The army of migrants is already assembling at our border. What are we going to do? If the media is to be believed, the United States is about to be overrun by hordes of terrorists and criminals from Central America. And we're not just talking about Fox News or Breitbart. We're talking mainstream media organizations. ABC News calls it the caravan crisis. The Associated Press, yeah, AP, ran a piece headlined a ragged, growing army of migrants resumes march towards U.S. I mean, seriously. An army marching towards the U.S.? What, to invade and occupy this poor, weak, defenceless, borderless country? Come on. This is a, quote, caravan of innocent men, women and children. Unarmed people. The most vulnerable of the vulnerable. Refugees. Asylum seekers. People fleeing violence and persecution. And yes, extreme poverty too. They come from countries, by the way, like Honduras, which the US helped destabilise in the first place by backing violent coups and turning a blind eye to state-sponsored violence and persecution. To follow Donald Trump's lead and present these people as an assault on America is irresponsible, dishonest, alarmist and racist. Even if all 7,000 people make it across the border into the US and claim asylum, which is highly unlikely, that would only represent around 1% of all U.S. asylum claims. One percent. And yet two weeks away from the midterms, Trump and his racist cronies have succeeded in getting the quote-unquote liberal media to focus on this mythical threat from Central America, rather than, I don't know, 
their ongoing attacks on healthcare and Medicaid, their regressive tax cuts, Trump's own history of tax fraud, the murder cover-up in Saudi Arabia, the Russia investigation, and of course the guy accused of sexual assault that they forced through onto the Supreme Court. But this is why Trump won. Seriously, this is why Trump won. At every turn, at every juncture in his journey to the Oval Office, and since he arrived in that office, a mainstream media that supposedly hates him and that he supposedly hates, wittingly or unwittingly, has helped him, boosted his message, echoed his lies, reinforced his racism, danced to his white nationalist tune. You know, they have a word. It sort of became old-fashioned. It's called a nationalist. And I say, really, we're not supposed to use that word. You know what I am? I'm a nationalist, okay? I'm a nationalist. What's so frustrating is that this bogus immigration crisis centred on this caravan distracts us from what really has been an immigration crisis at the border, a moral and political catastrophe at the border, the so-called separation of migrant kids from their parents by the Trump administration. And the fact that it's gone from your Twitter or Facebook feeds, that it no longer dominates the headlines on cable news as it did in May and June of this year, doesn't mean that the story, the scandal, the abuse has gone away. It hasn't. According to the latest official numbers from the Trump administration, which many believe to be a complete underestimate, there are still 66 kids held in detention who were quote-unquote separated from their parents. One of those children is under the age of five. In total, remember, more than two and a half thousand kids, kids, were torn apart from their parents by this administration. A lot of those parents, hundreds of them, have already been deported from this country. Then there are the unaccompanied kids who came to the US alone. There are more than 12,000 of them now being held in detention. 12,000, that's more than five times the number that were in custody 18 months ago and a record high. It's barbaric. It's a moral disgrace. It's a crime. And it should be, in a normal world, it would be a political catastrophe for the president that caused it. And yet Trump carries on with his presidency as if all is fine with kids at the border. How often do you see journalists ask him about that story, ask him about the kids still in detention, rather than about mythical ISIS terrorists from Central America? On the contrary, a lot of the media coverage, again, helps Trump by referring to what's been going on at the border as family separation. Separation. But it's not just separation, it's theft. Children were taken from their parents, against their will, without their consent, sometimes without their knowledge, by the United States government. They were stolen. Oh, we're taking your kid next door for a shower. The kid never comes back. Oh, your son or daughter will be right here waiting for you when you get back from your court hearing. They're not. A baby is torn from her mother's breast whilst in the middle of feeding. That's theft, plain and simple. And let's not forget what has happened to some of these kids in detention. We've seen reports of kids who were assaulted, handcuffed to chairs, forced to drink toilet water, held down and injected with sedatives and antipsychotics, which left them unable to walk. So this is a story of theft, of child abuse and of racism, all rolled into one. Let's be clear about that. But here's what the President of the United States thinks. They exploited the loopholes in our laws to enter the country as unaccompanied alien minors. They look so innocent, they're not innocent. These kids are not innocent, he says. Disgusting. Seriously, even by his standards, disgusting. And look, I get it. The Obama administration did some horrific things when it came to immigration and border security, from deporting millions of people to detaining unaccompanied kids. But what Trump is doing is on a whole different level. 
Listen to Lee Galent from the ACLU speaking on my colleague Jeremy Scahill's podcast, Intercepted, back in June. It's horrendous. It's the worst thing I have seen in my 25 plus years of doing civil rights work. So look, we shouldn't give Obama a pass on immigration, but nor should we deny that Trump is way, way worse. And one of the main reasons he's worse and why he's so dangerous is because his immigration policy isn't a reaction to an actual migrant crisis, to increasing numbers at the border, or even to pressure from the press or the public. It's a product of, it's motivated by white nationalism. When Trump appoints Steve Bannon and Sebastian Gorka and Stephen Miller to his administration and lets them decide immigration policy, that's white nationalism. When he talks about migrant caravans and gangs invading and infesting the United States, he's borrowing language and imagery straight out of one of the key texts of the white nationalist movement, a racist French novel called The Camp of the Saints. When he tells his aides that he wants fewer immigrants from shithole countries in Africa and more immigrants from places like Norway, that's white nationalism. So let's not discuss or debate immigration or asylum or border security in a vacuum. Let's discuss it in the context of a presidency that is driven by white nationalism, an administration that has no qualms stealing, detaining and abusing migrant children in order to appease its racist base and to get that base to come out and vote for more of the same. My guest today is an award-winning journalist, perhaps the most recognisable face in Spanish-language media in the US, who's been outspoken on the issue of kids in detention and is an immigrant from Mexico himself. I came here to this country on January 2nd, 1983, and I had left Mexico because of censorship. Back then, Mexico was not a democracy. That's Jorge Ramos on the first episode of his new Facebook Watch series, Real America, which launched in September and looks at the modern immigrant experience in the US. Since the election of Donald Trump, Ramos has been one of the most persistent voices asking difficult questions about the administration's immigration policies. It was that tendency, in fact, that got him thrown out of a Trump press conference way back in 2015. Excuse me, sit down. You weren't called. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. Go ahead. No, you don't. You haven't been called. Go back to Univision. Jorge Ramos, thanks for joining me on Deconstructed. Congratulations on the launch of your new Univision Facebook series, Real America. On the first episode of that show, you talked about what the political climate was like in the United States on the issue of immigration when you first came here as an immigrant on a student visa in 1983. You even include a clip of Ronald Reagan famously speaking about immigrants in front of the Statue of Liberty in 1980. They came to make America work. They didn't ask what this country could do for them, but what they could do to make this, this refuge, the greatest home of freedom in history. So when it comes to immigration, especially from Latin America, how different is the U.S. of Ronald Reagan in 1983 to the U.S. of today under Donald J. Trump? It is completely different. Sometimes it feels like a different country. When I arrived, it was... January 1983, it was completely different. This country gave me the opportunities that my country of origin, Mexico, couldn't give me. Back then, Mexico was not a democracy. I wanted to be a journalist, and I didn't want to be censored. And the United States, Los Angeles as a city, helped me be the journalist that I am today. And just a few years later, in 1986, it was precisely Ronald Reagan who gave an amnesty to more than 3 million people in this country. And now... 
what we are seeing is exactly the opposite. So, Jorge, like you, I'm an immigrant to the US. I'm a Muslim immigrant from the UK, and I made the brilliantly timed move of coming to the US in 2015, just a few <laughs> weeks before Donald Trump announced his candidacy for president. Now, obviously, I knew that Muslims were not that popular in this country even before Trump, but I never imagined things would get to the point where you now have a Supreme Court-approved Muslim ban. Is that how you feel, that you knew things weren't great for Mexican immigrants when you moved here, but you never imagined America would elect as president a man who claimed Mexico is sending rapists here on purpose? It, it was very difficult to think that something like that was going to happen. But we knew it was, it was coming. It's just that a lot of people didn't want to listen to what we were saying. On, on June 2015, Donald Trump in New York City actually said that Mexican immigrants were criminals, drug traffickers, and rapists. He said that. Some of his followers and some of his supporters now are saying, well, he really didn't mean that. He, me he actually meant the undocumented immigrants in this country. No, that is not true. He said something completely different. Let's talk about, quote-unquote, family separations at the border, which, like you, I regard as one of the biggest domestic scandals of this scandal-ridden presidency. Uh, Jorge, you've covered a lot of political stories in your 35-odd years of doing journalism here in the United States. A lot of stories you've covered at the border on immigration. Where does this story about separations, about kids being ripped from their parents and put in cages, where does that rank in terms of stories that have shocked you? How bad is it? I, you, you know, last week I was in, in McAllen, Texas, and I saw a group of women, two mothers with their kids, three and five, and two unaccompanied minors, one 13 and one 15. They were coming from Honduras. They were escaping, as, as you know, yeah. violence, uh, poverty, uh, hunger. And that's the kind of people that Donald Trump used precisely as his example as a deterrent. I've been in this country for 35 years, and I've never seen anything like this. Just, just imagine what would happen if it would be Mexico doing that to U.S. children. What would happen? What would happen if, if Mexico or Canada would The U.S. would, would have would invaded. Say, the U.S. Hey, would have know, invaded by now. It would have been a completely different story. But somehow, nothing happens with Donald Trump. It doesn't matter what we do. Yeah. Nothing is happening with, with Donald Trump. So I, I'm honestly, as a journalist, I'm getting ready for another two more years and probably for another six years because this is not ending. On a recent episode of your podcast, Contrapador, you spoke with the aunt of Alison uh, Valencia Madrid, the six-year-old Salvadoran girl who was separated from her mother but had memorized her aunt's phone number, managed to make a phone call to her aunt mm. from her detention facility. ProPublica obtained that recording famously of that call. <laughs> You're hearing wailing children in the background. But what shocked a lot of people even more is that you can hear a man's voice, presumably an immigration officer, joking in Spanish. We've got an orchestra here. All we need is a conductor. This is not just security or border control. This is cruelty. This is depraved behavior, is it not? It, it is cruelty, and I think it is our responsibility as, as journalists to deny. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ounced as, as it is. I'm, I'm honestly not surprised. We knew this was happening. Unfortunately, many journalists and many politicians just didn't believe us. The same way when he ejected me from a press conference in, in Dubuque, Iowa, we were saying, come on. This is, this is an attack on the press. This is an attack on freedom of the press, on the First Amendment, and nobody paid attention. Of course, when people realized what was happening, it, it was already too late. Do you worry that the U.S. media has moved on too quickly from this story with the kids at the border, that journalists are too easily distracted by all the shiny new scandals and gaffes and outrages that Trump has basically produced on a daily basis since Kids in Cages became a global news story back in May and June of this year? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned about that. I think we, we are normalizing yep. racism. I think we are normalizing cruelty. It's normal now to talk about children being separated from their parents. How is it's that outrageous. possible? I mean, it's outrageous. At, at this moment, it's happening. Yeah. You've also interviewed a woman on your show named Elena Martinez from El Salvador who came to the California border seeking asylum with her husband and sons aged 5 and 11. Her husband and older mm-hmm. son ended up in a detention center, and then that son was separated from her husband. At the time of your interview, neither she nor her husband had seen the child in over a month. What are these people going through on a daily basis? How are they dealing with this trauma? I cannot imagine, Hoy, what state I'd be in if either of my daughters, God forbid, were taken from me and just disappeared it is it is traumatic for them it is incredibly difficult however you know what i'm most surprised and and really shocked is that after talking to them they are telling me that they would do it again in mccallan there's a refugee center run by sister norma pimentel she's an incredible woman and and there i met about 200 immigrants, most of them coming from Honduras and and Guatemala. And I was asking them, so haven't you heard what's happening at the border? You're coming with your kids, with your children. Why are you risking it? And they were telling me, you know, Jorge, it doesn't matter. We're going to risk it because if we stay in Honduras, if we stay in San Pedro Sula, in Tegucigalpa, gang members might want my boy to be part of the gang, or gang members might want to rape my daughter if the whole family doesn't support them. Which, which makes a mockery of Trump's whole zero tolerance nonsense. He doesn't understand that these people are trying to survive. Exactly. And, and I think we make a mistake by just calling them immigrants. Exactly. I think we, we have to call them what they are, which is refugees. Exactly. 100% And agree. by calling them refugees, they deserve certain protections, according to international laws, that are not being given by the U.S. government. And I still can't believe that we have lowered the number of refugees being admitted to this country. Um, Trump claimed over the summer, the day before he reluctantly, belatedly signed an executive order uh, bringing forced family separations to an end, he said, quote, my people love this. I mean, people talk about political correctness. Uh, the, the political correctness I see, the self-censorship I see in the U.S. media right now as an outsider, as a, as a newcomer to the U.S., is the refusal of reporters and journalists to call out the white nationalism that's in front of them, to say that, you know, policies on Puerto Rico or policies on the kids at the border, these are not accidents, but these are deliberate policies aimed 
at stoking up a base aimed and informed by a particular ideology. Uh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned um, the case of Puerto Rico, because that's uh, the best example on how uh, Latinos and Puerto Ricans are Latinos or considered Latinos are being treated as second class citizens. In nine days after Hurricane Harvey destroyed parts of Texas, according to Politico.com, the money that the victims in Texas received, the food and water that the victims in, in Texas received was much, much larger than the victims in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria. It is something that we can actually count. We saw how President Trump treated yeah. with disdain and how he humiliated the victims of Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico by throwing them rolls of paper towel. I didn't see President uh, Trump doing that recently in, in North Carolina. I didn't see him doing that uh, with the victims of hurricanes in Florida and in Texas. But simply because Puerto Ricans were considered second-class citizens, President Trump got away with that. And then he even said that it was an incredible success when you had 3,000 people, almost 3,000 people uh, yeah. who have died in Puerto Rico. That is simply incredible. That's one, that's well, now, one of now, the largest, now, well, now he denies the, the number, important of lies that he has made. Now he denies the number, of exactly. course. Going back to the election campaign in the summer of 2015, you were famously trying to ask Donald Trump a question at a press conference and he wouldn't let you speak. Mm -hmm. Eventually he had his thug of a bodyguard, Keith Schiller, physically remove you. Security personnel escorted Ramos from the event after he challenged Trump on his immigration proposal. Trump told NBC's Today show that Ramos was, quote, ranting and raving like a madman. No, 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 Sit down. No, I'm a, Sit down. Go ahead. No, you don't. You haven't been called. What was going through your mind that day? Did you know then, before a lot of the rest of us, what kind of an authoritarian president Trump would turn out to be? I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but I never expected that a U.S. politician would eject me from a press conference. I mean, I would expect that from an authoritarian country, not from the U.S. But that's exactly what happened. By the way, the only other person who prevented me from asking a question with a bodyguard was, was Fidel Castro. <laughs> and so here you had Fidel Castro and Donald Trump doing exactly the same thing. So this is, this is important because when, when Trump said that, again, Mexican immigrants were criminals and, and, and rapists, we said, this is racist. When Donald Trump ejected me from a press conference, we were saying, well, right now he's a, he's a Latino journalist. Exactly. But next is going to be a different attack on, on the press and nobody pay attention. So did you feel let down by your U.S. media colleagues, many of whom didn't have your back when you were being mistreated by Trump at that presser? They were complaining that you were too opinionated. You were too much of an activist. You were the Latino guy. Exactly. And what shocked me is that instead of defending me, some of them simply raised their hands and waited for <laughs> Donald Trump to give them the possibility of asking a question. But, but to, be, to be very honest here, uh, two journalists, Tom Llamas from ABC News and Casey Hunt from MSNBC, they stood up in the middle of the press conference and they told Donald Trump, Mr. Trump, you cannot do that. And then uh, both of them asked then the candidate to allow me to come back um, and ask the questions instead of them. And I did. I came back. Many people don't remember that I came back and <laughs> that I was able to, to have a conversation with him for five to seven minutes. However, thanks to Tom Yamas and, and Casey Hunt, but I they was obviously, able to do they, that. Sadly, were in a minority that day. When you have a media that is as white 
as the American media is. It makes it hard, I would argue, for a lot of them to take the Trump threat seriously because they're not experiencing that threat personally. It's not white people who are having their families prevented from entering the US because of the Muslim ban. It's not white people who are being compared to rapists or animals by the president. It's not white people who are being shot by the police at traffic stops and then labeled sons of bitches when they protest those shootings. Do you think that's fair, what I'm saying, that the Trump threat is personal yeah. to people like you and me, but sadly not for a lot of our white Anglo-Saxon colleagues, whether they're liberal or conservative? Uh, among your examples, let me, let me add that I'm among immigrants all the time. I'm, I'm an immigrant. Some of them have documents, some of them don't. And many of the, the immigrants that I talk to are afraid simply just to go out and drive because they don't know if they're coming back to, to their homes. Two days ago, I had the fortune of... Uh, participating in an event with uh, Jose Antonio Vargas. Uh, he's a Filipino. He realized when he was 16, when applying for a driver's license, that he was undocumented in this country. He's probably the most famous undocumented immigrant in this country. But he used to work for the Washington Post, and he won a Pulitzer Prize. This is the kind of contradictions that we see in, in this country. Of course, part of our problem as a, as a community, as a Latino community, is lack of representation. I'll give you a quick example. We're about 20% of the population, but we only have four senators. Well, the same thing happens in the media. We don't have the political representation and yeah, we don't have the media representation that, that we deserve. It's amazing. You, you mentioned media representation. I mean, I moved here in 2015 and I'd heard so much about how Hispanic Americans are going to determine the future of the US. By 2050, they're going to be part of this new majority minority population. And yet then I turned to the media and communities like yours, Mexican-Americans uh, and others, are so underrepresented mm -hmm. in the media. The New York Times, the Washington Post, don't have a regular columnist on their op-ed pages from any Latino communities. Uh, forget Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, their nightly lineups, their big-name anchors don't include a single Hispanic face, as far as I can see. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And part of the problem is that when you don't have enough Latino journalists working in these incredible institutions, then they make mistakes. How come the Washington Post and the New York Times still call undocumented immigrants illegal yeah. immigrants? No human being is illegal. But still, here you have the New York Times and the Washington Post using exactly the same terms, sometimes illegal aliens, as, as the Border Patrol and ICE. So true. It's in that taking part of an argument? Is in that standing for a, a cause and, or for a group or for a movement that does not represent America correctly? I, I do believe that. With more Latinos in positions of power, that would be different. I think as Latinos, we are going from big numbers to power, but still we're far, far away from, from the numbers that we deserve. And before we finish, Jorge, on a personal note, uh, Ten years ago, you became a U.S. citizen, a quarter century after moving here. How come it took so long? It's com you know, it's complicated. <laughs> I, I lived 25 years in Mexico, and I wanted to live 25 years here in the United States uh, to become a, a U.S. citizen. And I wanted to do it because I, I had to cover the war in Iraq, and I wanted to make sure that it was a war that started uh, under false pretenses. Remember that there were no weapons of mass destruction. And I was concerned about my children, I was concerned about my family, and I was concerned about my country. So I wanted to fully participate. And, and now I, I am a U.S. citizen, but I also have a, a Mexican citizenship. So people here in the United States uh, cannot understand the fact that I am an amphibian 
sometimes Mexican, sometimes American. I have a green passport and a blue passport. And sometimes I choose to be American or Mexican, depending on how long is the line at the Mexico City airport. That's the truth. <laughs> and 10 years later, given the US we now live in, do you have any regrets about becoming a US citizen? Oh, no, no not at all, because that's exactly who I am. I, I am Mexican-American. I am Chicano sometimes because I came through through California. Sometimes I'm Chilango, which means that I'm from from Mexico City. I still, as you can as you can tell, uh, I still speak English with an accent, and I am amphibian, going from one world to the other and trying to translate from one world to the other, from one language to the other, from one group to another. But isn't that what's so exciting? So many of us can hold multiple identities, and yet there are still so many people out there who see that as a threat, as something to be afraid of rather than something to embrace. Yeah, and it is, the, it is the United States looking at the mirror and then realizing that that is very different than what he or she had in mind. It is, you know, I, I don't know if you've done your DNA testing. I, I did it recently, and I'm surprised to, to realize that I'm, Part of me is from Europe, but part of me is from Africa and from Asia. Well, I think right now, the moment that we're living with Donald Trump is the United States opening that envelope and then realizing, oh, my God, <laughs> we're not white. <laughs> Jorge Ramos, thanks for joining me on Deconstructed. Thank you. That was Jorge Ramos of Univision talking immigration. And look, if you want immigration policy in this country to change, if you want to stop kids from being detained and taken from their parents, you're going to have to go out and vote on November the 6th. Don't just read stories about kids in detention online and get mad. Don't just listen to podcasts like this one and get frustrated. Do something about it. Get out there and get our politicians to change the policy. Those kids are depending on you. That's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept and is distributed by Panoply. Our producer is Zach Young. Dina Sayed Ahmed is our production assistant. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Lital Molard is our executive producer. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice, iPhone, Android, whatever. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or review. It helps new people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.